Welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. George, I'm really glad that, you, that you're that you back. Hi. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I thought it was going to be a nice little vacation, but eh, it wasn't that much fun. Did, did you listen to the show last week? <laughs> Is that what you're calling it? Um, the show? The, the show? <laughs> With the replacement George? There was the a up- replacement George. <laughs> George no, 2.0. No. Keith, Keith did a phenomenal job. And he is such a good guy, such a good guy. I'm glad he was able to step in the last minute and and uh, and do the show. Now it's weird because well. you're you're saying these things, but this is not what you were saying when the when we weren't recording a minute ago. Well, you weren't supposed to say that part. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. You might you. actually be listening. I I doubt that. Nobody really listens to these anyways. Let's let's be honest. Yeah, that's a good point. This this is actually one big inter- intervention for you about your Disney history problem, George. <laughs> that's the whole thing. <laughs> it's it's been a slow burn. We've been we've been doing it for over a year, but you have you have a problem with with Disney books. <laughs> and I, I need to come clean. Yes, yes, Basically. you do. Oh, it's too bad. But I, we I, won't do that part yet because we still have other things we want to talk about. No, because I had like five more show up over the past couple of days too. Oh, see, we got to keep going then. Yeah, we got to keep going. All right, let's let's jump right in. It's time for Disney History. The Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village opened on March 22, 1975, as a shopping complex intended to serve the planned residences within the Walt Disney World property, and it was a vision that was an offshoot of Walt's original Epcot plan. Um, the residential district, called Lake Buena Vista Resort, uh, was in the area where Disney's Saratoga Springs is now. Originally, the 1973 plans called for um, a residential development with four, you could call them community themes, sort of, uh, based on golf, tennis, boating, and some sort of western atmosphere. You know, one of those things is not like the other. No, 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 not at all. And that one's uh, golf. Golf does <clears throat> not belong. No, he doesn't. So uh, a lot of the construction actually took place in 1974. They created 133 townhomes and four model homes. The following year, Disney announced a retirement community, additional townhomes, and residential apartments for Lake Buena Vista. The 60 treehouse homes were finished by 1975, and then Disney changed plans again. They seem to do that quite often. Eh, they can do that. They're allowed to. They're you allowed know, to. Disney worked really hard to establish their own little town when they created Walt Disney World. And if they actually allowed people to take up full-time residence in Lake Buena Vista, they would become citizens. And those citizens would have voting rights. And those voting rights, in turn, could block the possible expansion of the Magic Kingdom and the Walt Disney World property. So, you see what we're getting out of here? The only way around that was to force people to move out of their homes every three months so they wouldn't really become voting citizens and you know being forced out of your home every three months probably not something you're gonna enjoy so prevent preventing that entire mess from happening uh disney kind of changed the focus of the community to vacation villas and treehouse villas and club lake villas and fairway villas basically it was an alternative to your typical resort hotels 
Exactly. Uh, as those residential units evolved into more resort hotel space, which they desperately needed at the time, the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village became more focused as a shopping destination for all of Walt Disney World video visitors, not the videos that's coming later, and it was renamed the Walt Disney World Village in 1977. In 1984, when <coughs> Michael Eisner, oh, I expected the booze to come in. No booze? No, huh. we don't. We don't get those in real time. That happens later. Oh, that'll happen after. Okay, good. So after Michael Eisner was in charge in '84, Disney began looking for ways to keep vacationers on Walt Disney World property longer and entice them with offerings to prevent them from leaving Disney's property, which didn't include the three months for stay. <laughs> That's yeah, actually a good idea. That actually is a pretty good idea. That's that might be required at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, so to compete with the very popular Church Street uh, station, which had clubs in downtown Orlando, uh, they came up with the addition of Pleasure Island, which was announced on July 21st, 1986. And that was going to feature adult nightclubs, so showcasing a lot of Disney's quality and creativity. And construction on that began the following August and was opened on May 1st, 1989, the same day as Disney MGM Studios. And also uh, later that year, the complex was renamed to the, the entire complex as a whole was renamed the Disney Village Marketplace. Pleasure Island, Pleasure Island was very highly successful for its time, uh, with it being a gated attraction of sorts, because uh, they asked for one admission price, which gained you act access to multiple clubs. It was based on the uh, fictitious legend of its owner, Meriwether Adam Pleasure. All through Pleasure Island, you could find plaques telling the story of the entire Pleasure clan, all coming together into one cohesive tale. Uh, it was even carried into one of its club, the Adventurers Club. Every night at midnight as well, New Year's Eve was celebrated at Pleasure Island with a fireworks show. The tradition lasted from 1990 through New Year's Eve 2005. That probably put them, you know, if you're celebrating New Year's Eve every day, it probably put them well into the future. So I bet their calendar was like way Ooh, off. Ooh, what a weird way to time travel. Right? Very weird. So um, June 27, 2008, Walt Disney World Resort announced that over the next two years, Pleasure Island's nightclubs would be replaced with a whole bunch of new stores and restaurants. Um, Disney denied that these rumors that the, and that the changes were due to a decrease in attendance there, uh, stating instead that the company was responding to guest feedback that they wanted more family-friendly experiences. Mm. Um, all the entertainment venues, including the nightclubs and the comedy clubs, ceased operations on September 27, 2008. Yeah, um, I'm wondering where that family-friendly. More restaurants, hey. Hey, more, uh, more restaurants and stores. <clears throat> more restaurants and stores, of course. So the, the mid-1990s, the growth of Walt Disney World created the potential for further expansion. On June 20th, 1995, major enhancements and expansions were announced for the area, with the Dilla Disney Village Marketplace and Pleasure Island being combined into a newly branded district named Downtown Disney. The rebranding was introduced on September 7th, 1997. On September 15th, the Downtown Disney West Side, wait a minute, West Side? Wait, what? Is that right? What? Oh, sorry, no, the Downtown Disney West Side, sorry, opened as a third shopping, dining, and entertainment area featuring some pretty high-end venues uh, like La Nuba, which is a permanent uh, show for part of Cirque du Soleil, Disney Quest, that gigantic arcade game, and Tower Records, which would later be Virgin Megastore. Major changes to the complex also included the conversion of Mickey's character shop into the world of Disney, making it the world's largest Disney store, period. 
So Downtown Disney actually gained a sister district on January 12, 2001 with the addition of Downtown Disney at the Disneyland Resort. Now, similar complexes also exist, such as the Disney Village, which opened on April 12, 1992 at the Disneyland Resort Paris, and Ixpari. Um, oh, good. Did I say that correctly? Uh, that sounds good. We'll I'll find say, out. We'll say yes. Um, that opened July 7th in the year 2000 uh, at the Tokyo Disney Resort. Um, a fifth version is expected to open at uh, Hong Kong Disneyland. Now, Pleasure Island was also announced to be turned into a new district called Hyperion Wharf in uh, late 2010. However, after some of the construction got underway, some of the buildings uh, were demolished, and then everything stopped. And then uh, March 14, 2013, Walt Disney uh, Parks and Resorts Chairman Tom Staggs announced that Downtown Disney would be re revitalized again as Disney Springs, a uh, revitalized dining, retail, entertainment district inspired by Florida's waterfront towns. Um, the expansion project will include 150 new tenants and the construction of two parking structures. And uh, not probably not the Adventures Club. Probably not, but you know, I'm glad to see parking garages. Oh, I mean, I'm glad I guess. we're going to have places to park there. I guess. Sure. I mean, parking garages are fun. I can't wait and, to go on that ride. And, and 150 new tenants. Like I mean, da David, David I, tenants? That's what I was thinking, David tenants. Okay. That's awesome. I think I think Martina might be on board with this idea. I'm, I'm going to be on board with this idea. Yeah, it's, that's a bunch of them. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Disney, The First 100 Years by Dave Smith. Published in 1999, this 198-page book is, is really an amazing look at Walt Disney and the Disney Company. It is part of my Walt Disney World bibliography slash history guide that I publish at Mice Chat, and it's one of the, uh, I'm doing air quotes again, Imaginerting Necessities. It's, it's a new category that I've created to showcase not only how cool I am, but all the Disney-related titles that are a must-have for various reasons. Mostly the first reason, but... Mostly the first reason. Anyway, well, back on track. First off, this is not a comp comprehensively nerdy title. It doesn't go in too deep, especially trying to cover 100 years of a man-slash-company that has, you know, 200-page books alone dedicated just to single theme parks and films but it's a great overall look at the major events of the Disney organization. And you might remember that whole 100 years of magic promotion that followed the Millennium Celebration in 2001. Yeah, this was sort of another product that came out of that. So I guess we had some good that came out of that. Anyway, as, as you go through the book, the very first entry, of course, is 1901 and expectedly covers Walt Disney's birth. Uh, the book is broken down into major time periods with at least one page per year with tons of photos and it's written in a great and approachable style that's really that's that's less encyclopedic and it has more of a narrative and there's one section from 1929 that's pretty cool <clears throat> and I quote one day Walt was walking through a hotel lobby in New York when a man came up to him and offered him three hundred dollars and I thought about stopping there um, if Walt <laughs> So <laughs> draw your own conclusions. Just, just right there. So, well, when a man came up to him and offered him $300, if Walt would allow him to use Mickey Mouse on the cover of a children's writing tablet that he was manufacturing, Walt agreed and thus began Mickey Mouse merchandising. Other offers soon followed, and the Disney set up a subsidiary, Walt Disney Enterprises, to handle licensing. So in addition to that, uh, each year covers uh, the other major events. 
Sometimes the entry will feature info on Walt, uh, major releases by the company, like the animated, the live action, etc., or even theme park attractions, of course. After Walt's passing, the book does focus more on the company, which makes sense. Uh, interestingly enough, the 1980s and the 1990s get a lot more coverage in the book as the company is really promoting their most recent openings at the parks and the Touchstone and Disney releases. And there's another segment that I find equally, equally important, which is from the 1971 page. Um, on Actually, it's the end of 1970. On June 22nd, the Walt Disney Archives were, was established and charged with recording and preserving the history of Disney, including historical documents, memorabilia, selected films, and theme park props and other items pertaining to Walt Disney, his family, and the Disney company as a whole. So you can see the book really does cover a little bit of everything. I just pulled those two out because I liked them. Uh, it, it's, it's a great look at the company as a whole. And like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's not incredibly detailed, but it is a fantastic resource for getting a great overview of the company. And the title is Disney, The First 100 Years by Dave Smith. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. Royal Care Company, we keep your castle shining. Chuck Boyajin, proprietor. Dedicated in 1981, this window is uh, a tribute to Chuck Boyajin, who was actually the first custodial manager of Disneyland. Chuck was actually put in charge by Walt Disney himself back in 1955, and he helped set the standard for cleanliness and efficiency that has uh, never been seen in an outdoor entertainment enterprise before Disneyland opened. Chuck also established the custodial department at Walt Disney World in 1971, and then uh, he stayed on, and then he retired in 1981, but then he returned a year later to help establish the custodial de department for Tokyo Disneyland um, in, in 1982. So, it's almost you. like a godfather thing. Oh Yeah, almost. It almost they is. keep sucking him back in. But you know what? We have him to thank for, for the high level of cleanliness that they usually adhere to, so thank yes. you for all your hard work, Chuck. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> so the next time you're on a journey into imagination with Figment, but, um, we know, whenever that is, I don't, I don't know. Do people actually ride that anymore? I don't think they do. Well, if you, if you happen to, by mistake, find yourself on that ride, um, be sure to keep a lookout when you're in the computer control room of the Imagination Institute. Um, there's actually a pair of tennis shoes sitting next to a computer, which is a reference to the 1969 Kurt Russell film, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Uh, there's also a jacket for Medford College nearby, which is the college that the film takes place at. But chances are you probably won't see that stuff because, really, are you really going on that ride? It's, it's good if there's nothing else to do, and it's like hot or rainy or snowing outside. It's a good, it's a good nap ride. Ooh, well, not until you get to the part with Figment and he, well, never mind. I don't ruin it for the people that haven't ridden it yet. Fair so, enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, well, uh, thanks so much for watching, listening, and absorbing the show. Yeah, be sure to leave us a comment or rate us on iTunes. Yep, you can always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. Like us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. And follow us both on Twitter. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. 
Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Tumblr.